Welcome to the Ford's Leadership Podcast. Alpha, the local church-based evangelism program created by Nikki Gumbel at Holy Trinity Brompton in London, has become a global phenomenon in over a hundred countries. Today, Simon Barrington is joined by Bonnie Yul Kearney, the Global Chief Operating Officer of Alpha. Well, welcome to the Forge Leadership Podcast. This week, we're joined by Bonnie Yul Kearney. Bonnie's the Chief Operating Officer, the Global Chief Operating Officer of uh, Alpha. Bonnie, welcome. Thank you, Simon. It's really good to be with you this morning. Yeah, and it's a beautiful sunny day, isn't it? And uh, we're both in different parts of the world, but both in, enjoying the sunshine. Exactly. I w- it would have been even more enjoyable if we'd been together for this conversation. Yeah, another time, another time. <laughs> now, listen, tell me a little bit about uh, your role as, as Global Chief, o- Chief Operating Officer of Alpha. Yes. Well, I've, I've actually been with Alpha now since 2001. So this is my seventh role with Alpha, and I've done things. Wow. I'm the UK National Director. I've been the Global Director. I've worked um, very closely. My first roles were working as the right-hand um, for our executive director at that point. And it's a real joy and blessing to focus now in my role on ensuring we have the right leaders in the right structure with the right goals and operational plans with the right accountability all around the world. And so that's you know governance, leadership, um, research and development, are all pieces that I get to look after globally. But I'm also very blessed that I hold the executive director role for Europe, Middle East, Africa, and Latin America, which is the kind of frontline ministry delivery element. So with my two hats, I get to lay the global plans and then test them out in a number of our regions, (laughs) which works very well because it means I'm one of the first people, at least I hope, that pick up when things need to be shifted or changed. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And other people can't claim that you're not getting your hands dirty either. <laughs> exactly. I, I enjoy the diversity of those of those two roles. Brilliant. Now, Alpha is a, an incredible global phenomenon. Tell us about what's happening with Alpha around the world at the moment. Well, God is kind, you know, and our, our mission is that we serve and equip the church. Alpha is not something that runs Alpha. We serve and equip the local church to run Alpha because the the mission is actually from God given to the church to help people to both discover and then develop their relationship with Jesus. So our heart is that we are by, for, and through the church to resource them with a tool that we see God utilizing. Um, And so what that's meant, so if we look at last year, over 34 um, thousand churches and organizations ran Alpha globally, and just under 61,000 courses um, were run by that group. And so our our great joy is seeing what God is doing with Alpha in those churches of all denominations, Orthodox, Catholic, Pentecostal, Baptist, Anglican. Once you start a list like this, you wish you hadn't, because I think <laughs> the rest of our conversation could be me listing denominations. <laughs> It's yeah. the move of God that every denomination is involved in. And that's in over 120 countries and over 100 languages. Um, and so getting a, a sense of that around the world is one of the biggest joys of my life. And here in the UK last year, 
Over 10,000 churches and organizations ran Alpha. It's been amazing to see um, churches flourishing. You know, we, we have a real heart. Um, this, is, this is our country. This is where Alpha has come from, coming out of a local church, a local Anglican church in the middle of, of London. And to see our country and our city flourish with the good news of Jesus is hugely encouraging. So as we see those numbers increase, um, that, that has been a real blessing. You know, when we look at the kind of post-Christian culture that we have in the UK, and I see, you know, the first night of Alpha when the queues come down the driveway of Holy Trinity Brompton out onto Brompton Road in the middle of, of London, I just think, one, God, you have an amazing sense of humor because it keeps us on our toes that what we perceive as what's happening can sometimes be very different to what God is doing and what he's perceiving. Mm -hmm. Now, there are lots of backstories, aren't there? Mm -hmm. You know, there are stories that don't make the front page of the Telegraph or the Daily Mail. And and what, what stories do you hear coming out of those Alpha courses in the UK and around the world uh, that really capture for you what God is doing through, through Alpha at this moment in time? It, I think the most... Um, Kind of impactful right now is last week I was in Beirut for the week and we had our first Alpha conference in the Levant, the Levant being Jordan, um, Syria and Lebanon house. And that uh, conference was run in partnership with the amazing Open Doors. And I was blown away that we had just under a hundred leaders come from Syria, Aleppo, Damascus, Homs, into Beirut to be trained on Alpha, Alpha Youth, marriage courses, parenting courses from us. And it was such, um, such an eye-opener when we watch the news, and it doesn't matter what source of news you look at, when we sit here in England and look at the news, we would never get a sense of what God is doing in his church on the ground. And I was both personally challenged in my own leadership and um, relationship with Jesus in speaking to these leaders who are so passionate about growing God's kingdom in their cities. Now, I am passionate about that for my city, but I look at how easy it is. And I felt so challenged by their dedication, their conviction, and their faith. It was so inspiring. And again, all denominations, Alliance Church, Anglican Church, uh, Orthodox Church, Catholic Church. These leaders have um, a story to tell of what God is doing that we never see on, on the television. I was speaking with Pastor Abdullah um, of the Alliance Church, who I must say I think is a bit of a hero. He and his wife, Alpha, has been running in their church since 2010. And they've got two young children. And I said, you know, were you, were you not tempted to move? And his response was, this is where God has given me to grow his kingdom. <laughs> and it really made me stop and think, gosh, Lord, you are amazing. Because let's just say London is easier ground. We'll put it that way. Um, and I really feel that. I have learned by these amazing leaders that I have met there. So that's just one little example of something that I would never have guessed 
that Alpha was alive, that Alpha was well. And then to have this many leaders going back, I was speaking with um, a Catholic nun from Damascus, and I, you know, I said to her, uh, you know, I'd love your thoughts on your time here with us in Beirut. And she said, well, Alpha and Alpha Youth is what my people need. So I'm going back to start. It really impacted me. Wow. It's humbling, isn't it? Um, when you think about the circumstances in which those leaders are, are leading, it would be so easy for them to have so many excuses <laughs> of why not to do anything. But, That's exactly right. That is exactly right. I was speaking with um, a family lawyer in Aleppo, and he said, you know, the divorce rate is exploding uh, in Aleppo right now. And our passion as a church is to help people's marriages because as everything else is falling down around us, faith and family are two pieces that we, we as the church want to make sure we're offering our community. And I thought, oh my gosh, that doesn't, that doesn't sound too dissimilar to what we see happening here in our city. Maybe not the kind of, let me phrase that differently, not the kind of falling down in the literal sense, the the kind of challenge to family and to faith being very similar. Now, as you oversee 61,000 courses in 120 countries, 100 different languages, um, there must be some real challenges in terms of um, seeking to keep a global movement focused, um, keep a global movement together on on mission, keeping the main thing <laughs> the main thing. What, what are some of the challenges you face as you seek to keep Alpha Alpha um, to ensure that the DNA of Alpha is is um, is clear um, and is represented well in in all countries around the world? Absolutely. Our, our global goal is doubling the number of churches that are run, running Alpha within the next five years. That That's our, our kind of heart and our passion. And one of the things I have learned and really value um, from our CEO is while we are wholeheartedly passionate and sold on keeping our eye on the goal, what we actually focus on is not the goal. We need to focus on our mission. And so that, that real um, communication piece with the whole Alpha Global family, offices and boards and donors and church leaders and bishops, is around keeping our eye on the fact that we are called to serve and equip the church in its mission, as I've mentioned, to help people discover and develop a relationship with Jesus. And I think that that pressure between you know, a, um, a non-mission-driven organization, they're focused on their goals. The goals might be making more money or growing, whatever that might be. And to keep all of the attention of all of the employees on that goal is what they're called to. What we are called to is keeping everyone's eye on our mission, because the biggest challenge is mission creep, right? When you're working to grow the kingdom of God, there is so many great things to do. Yeah, no. <laughs> Honestly, the ideas that cross my desk on a daily basis, so few of them are bad ideas. 99.9% of them are great ideas, fabulous things to do, all of them needed. But, but our goal as leaders of keeping the focus very clearly on our mission, not allowing mission creep, and keeping the goals that we are setting for organization behind the mission 
I think is one of our biggest challenges. We, we want to, numbers are helpful, right? So if we're looking at the number of churches doubling globally, that is a helpful marker in our path that we need to have in place. But if the whole global family that we as leaders are serving was focused on that, I am sure we would fail because that's not what we're called to. What we're called to is our mission. And so I think that's one of that those ongoing kind of high high level challenges for any global mission driven organization. Keep your eye on that mission. Okay, and practically mm. how do you with the leadership team of Alpha do that? Mm. Um, what are the rhythms of the ways that you do that uh, together? It's, it's really interesting. I'll, I'll take this again from our CEO, Matthew. We have um, a, one, a very helpful one pager that looks at our vision, mission, values, our global goal I've just mentioned, three lead indicators, which is around um, growing the number of churches that are considering running Alpha, the number of churches that we're training digitally, as well as the number of strategic hub churches. And then the key enablers, governance, fundraising, and our digital capacity. And Matthew always says that the best way for us to ensure that we are mission-focused is that we tell everyone, if you had an hour, you would spend 57 minutes of that hour on the vision, mission, and values. You would spend one minute on the goal, one minute on the lead indicator, and one minute on the enablers. Now, in practical terms, of course, that isn't the case. When we are speaking about these things um, with, with the whole family globally, we need to drive more into the different areas to make sure that we're all clear on where we are. But the analogy is very helpful because what we are saying is if, if everyone's attention is 57 minutes out of 60 focused on ensuring that we are passionately pursuing our mission in the way of our values, then we will be growing. That is how you ensure growth. So it's, it's the vision leak, so you keep communicating it. And every time we talk about our goal, our lead indicators, and our enablers, we always do that with mission coming first. I think those are the, those are the keys. And as, a, as someone who really likes numbers, I, I, there's enough competitor in me that I want to keep growing and driving forward. It's very helpful to me to know that that's, that's almost um, rule isn't quite the word I want, but that is the way we do things. We always talk about the importance of the mission before we could get to anything else. Mm. And, and for people um, sitting in your global offices around the world who maybe aren't sat in alpha courses every day, um, it can be quite easy. I found this in Samaritan's Purse, really. It was quite easy to, to lose a sense of that mission and that purpose because you're quite remote from it and you end up looking at spreadsheets and documents and having conference calls and, and going to conferences and stuff. So, so how do you personally keep that mission alive for yourself? It's such a good point. I think that's the case for any evangelistic or kingdom-focused organization. Um, we, we encourage everyone who works for Alpha that as we are encouraging other people to give up their time in churches to run Alpha, we need to do the same thing. It is not part of your job. It is not your working hours to go and be part of 
alpha in your local church or local prison or local university. But it is something that we're saying, this has to be something that you give time to because otherwise you're asking other people and encouraging other people to do something you're not doing. That yeah. doesn't work whatsoever. So the first <laughs> is, you know, there's an authenticity to saying to other people, this is my story of the alpha that I've been helping on. This is what I've seen. So that's kind of one hand. The other hand is you won't have those stories of what God is doing with Alpha unless you're actually actively involved in Alpha every year. Uh, you know, I'm running Alpha Youth with our brand new Alpha Youth series. Um, so this is the second Alpha Youth series that we've come out with, and we're using it um, here in Pengborn. And I am loving the discussions with the teachers that are coming out of that. Um, the, the questions they bring to the table, I always find really challenging in a positive way, really help me to go deeper in my faith and help me to see how are the products working? Is, is this something that is still engaging with this demographic? And then to see how well it is, is hugely encouraging. <laughs> That's fantastic. Now, tell me a little bit about your own leadership journey, uh, Bonnie. Um, you just don't wake up one morning and become CEO <laughs> of, of Global Alpha. Um, what, what's your leadership journey been? When did you re first realize that you, you had leadership gifts and how have those gifts developed over, over the years as well? Mm, such a good question, Simon. I, um, I actually think that my interest and passion for leadership comes out of my interest and passion for people. I am people-centered. I am fascinated by people. So I, I have a master's degree in social anthropology, which is, of course, focusing on how, how societies construct themselves. What is it that human beings innately gather around and create society and culture around? Um, when I did that degree, I, I had no intention of then going into ministry. That wasn't the direction of travel. But it is so helpful. Um, you know, when we are all gathered around a story, the wider story, of course, is the biblical story and the, the, the love of the Heavenly Father and the gift of Jesus and etc. We are gathered around a story of that, what God is doing specifically with that organization. And so th this passion, actually, only God could possibly have said, yes, that was the right degree for this job. <laughs> but I went from that to working um, for the U.S. ambassador under President Clinton. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, being, you know, I've been here many, many years now, but you're probably picking up. There's a slight American accent in there. So Just a tinge. <laughs> Although my, own, my whole adulthood has now been in the U.K. And Watching an amazing leader, Ambassador Later was, and his wife Linda Later were, um, are, are amazing leaders. They are, um, again, people focused and very um, dedicated to what God has given them to do, whether it's ambassadorial or in their business life or in um, the organization they lead back in the US. So I learned a huge amount from them and then moved. Um, Pippa Gumbel was over for lunch with, with him and his wife and said, oh, you must come work from us at the end of the ambassadorial term when I was saying, you know, I'm just asking God what he wants. I don't think I'm called back to the U.S. And Pips was amazing because God just kept bringing her words to mind. And so that was my next step, working with Trisha Neal, amazing woman of God, who was the executive director at that time. 
And over the years, my love for how I see God using Alpha, my love for the church around the world, and the way that the global church just inspires me in every way, has lent me the heart's desire to want to serve in any way I can. And I, I, I think that heart for people and heart to serve has been the kind of fundamentals of my, my journey with Alpha. And God bringing amazing leaders across my path. Now, Matthew Neville, our CEO, another amazing and inspiring leader. So as I've learned more and more from the people around me, and again, I've started a list and feeling, oh my goodness, I've got at least 20 other names I need to list right now. <laughs> but again, I won't do that. But there are so many people that God has brought across my path that I've really put time and attention into learning from them, watching what they do, how they do it. I'm an osmosis learner. So I love to be right up next to someone that I want to learn from and to, to literally try to deconstruct what they do and how they do it and then reconstruct it with my own skills and gifts. And I think that has been um, the biggest help for me in my journey. I, you know, I think that the role of podcasts, the role of books, the roles of research, all of this is necessary as we grow as leaders. We need to open ourselves to as many different inputs into our leadership journey as possible. But I also w would really encourage all of us as leaders to have those people that mentor our leadership, that walk alongside us, or just that we are intentionally observing from close range to learn from. And when you intentionally observe, I mean, do you journal? Do you take notes? I mean, how, how, how do you do that? Well, how are you intentional in, in, in doing that? I would love to say that I journal because it sounds so much neater. I scribble. That's the reality. Okay. <laughs> there was this part of me that definitely said, oh, yes, journal. That's what, no, that is not what I do. I scribble. I scribble key words that have stood out to me. Um, and then I begin to draw around them. I either circle them or I will morph them into another word that I think better suits me personally. And so I'll end up with a bit of a scribble of an organogram with circles, stars, underlines, and arrows that help me to get just a really quick synopsis of what I've learned and how that actually is something I would turn into something I would do. But again, it's all single words rather than this beautiful journaling experience that I know other people can do, but isn't, isn't how I do it. Well, one of the things that comes across really strongly, Bonnie, although you haven't you haven't mentioned it, is just that sense that I get that you're very curious, <laughs> so that you love asking questions, and 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 uh, how do you keep yourself? fresh in that regard because a lot of leaders plateau a lot of leaders um burn out a lot of leaders get to a point where they stop learning uh, how do you keep yourself fresh in that way and keep yourself curious is just a national natural personality trait or are there specific things that you do that's a good question simon my mother always said my favorite question was why and i now know that's true because my nine-year-old's favorite question is why so i think my mother was the same that question when, when it's applied across all the board, 
is fascinating. How many how many ways I have no idea the answer to why you know tectonic plates all the way through. We were in um, Cape Town. My nine year old was with me on a recent trip and looking at some of the inequality in the society there. And of course, there was a lot of whys that came out of that. While we were in Beirut, um, we, we got to see more of Lebanon and we got to see some of the refugee camps. We didn't go into them. We were driving by them um, on the way to, to somewhere else. But of course, the whys that he brings to the table are incredibly difficult um, to answer. And uh, so one always been my favorite question less so when I'm confronted with it all the time. But I actually think that part of it is the younger generation. I really love the curiosity, the questioning, the, the, the kind of pushing into things that the younger generation can do. So our, our office in London, the average age of the ELF international team is in their, um, is in their 20s. I think it's 28. And so it's a young, dynamic group. And the, the curiosity factor when you are surrounded with people who are asking a lot of questions is very easy to keep alive. And so I think both at home with, with the nine-year-old and then in the office, there is a real sense and desire to understand why things happen and why what role we play within what God wants to do in that scenario. And if you are constantly asking these things of yourself and being asked them by people around you, it keeps that curiosity level very high. I think the other thing I like about working with, you know, a large group of young people is some of the things that my, my brain of experience says that won't work because their brain says, let's go anyway. And it's really helpful because sometimes my that won't work because actually hinders, right? My experience is so often a blessing, but sometimes it actually holds us back. And so I encourage all of us as leaders, have people around us who do not have that impression, who, who are just wholeheartedly going for it. And they're really not all that interested in what the experience tells us will and won't work because sometimes they're right. And when they're right, it's like conquering a, I love hiking, I love mountains. It's like conquering a whole new mountain, right? That mountain range that you said is inaccessible. They're saying, let's go for it. And sometimes, I am not indicating all the time, because there are definitely some times where going for it means instant death on the mountain. So sometimes it's worth stepping out and saying, okay, we're going to give this one a go. We've, we've got to learn how to um, fail well, right? We will not, if our idea is everything we do is going to go perfect, perfectly, you're not going to get much done. Sometimes you've got to give it a go and you've got to give the people in your teams the space, the leniency that says, I'm going to tell you to give it a go. And I've got your back. If it goes wrong, it's okay. I got your back. If it goes right, you've got this. You've done this. You've delivered this. This is your baby. But I've got your back if it doesn't. Go for it. And when, when you lead people in that way, and I'm not saying I'm perfect, I am saying that's my desired way of leading. That is, it's a win-win. You learn from failure, you learn from things that don't go well, and you celebrate the successes. That's really interesting because a lot of leaders I speak to 
actually feel quite threatened by that kind of environment where they're surrounded by millennials who um, are not afraid to challenge and not afraid to be curious and not afraid to want to want to try things what is it about your leadership style or the culture in in alpha that allows that to happen and happen well do you think it's a really good question. I, I think it's I think it's really the culture that Alpha has. One, we we are passionate about everyone having the opportunity through their local church to hear about Jesus and the good news of Jesus. But our bullseye is the urban 24-year-old male. And by bullseye, it means we want our resources, the Alpha film series, everything we produce to suit everyone, but you've got to have a sense of what is the middle, what is the exact person that we're trying to reach, or else you're trying to reach everyone, and that that actually leads to a really confused approach to what you're doing. And so if we're really focused on this specific demographic, part of that was really spending time beginning to understand who they were. There's been some some research um um, that we, we looked at that Barna did in the U.S. that we found very helpful um, from the U.S. perspective. But we, we want to understand that person that we've put in the bullseye of what when we produce things for Alpha. And I think also because we come out of Holy Trinity Brompton, the, the demographic is a young demographic there. We're not parachurch. We're actually deeply rooted within the local church. And so that gives us the experience of being part of a young, dynamic church community that kind of spills out into Alpha, both the staff as well as the culture, as well as the bullseye target of who we're trying to reach globally. Um, and I think Nikki, Nikki Gumbel's um, heart for that, for that group of people globally and his desired. Uh, he is one of the best people I have ever met at asking questions. I remember sitting in an interview um, with the head of Agape Switzerland. Andreas Bopart was interviewing Nikki for a big event in Switzerland. And, um, and Andreas was interviewing Nikki brilliantly. But Nikki's questions back to Andreas were also brilliant. So Simon, I've not, I've not won this whatsoever. I should be asking you all these great questions. But I really learned from that because his questions back were so insightful. And it really helped me to see, you know, why, why is it that Nikki understands people so well? It's because he's so good at asking questions. Yeah. Um, so if we use the same kind of analogy if you have one hour you spend 57 minutes of asking questions <laughs> talking so i failed you succeeded brilliantly so have so, so you got a question for me Bonnie? Yes, yes, I, <laughs> I, I would love to say i would love to know as you've traveled all over the world simon you yeah, have been, yeah. how many countries have you been to over the years uh probably 60 70 oh up, upwards of that yeah that is incredible. The person that you have most learned any kind of leadership insight from that you were most surprised to learn from. So, you know, not the John Maxwells or the, the person you were most surprised to learn from. Tell us. Um, it was actually, it was very easy. Um, it was in Nepal 
and um, we were doing a water filter program. And I ended up standing next to um, a man in the crowd um, who were all there for the opening of this uh, water um, uh, water filters and provision of clean water into the village. So everybody was very excited. And I started talking to him. I said, oh, what's your name? And he said, oh, my name's Joseph. And I said, oh, what, what do you do? And he said, oh, I work in the local church and sometimes I preach, um, but I sweep the floor and um, look after the building and, uh, you know, do, do the mundane stuff around around the church. I said, oh, that's, that's interesting. And uh, we chatted a bit longer. And then someone came up to join in the conversation and came up to him and said, oh, Pastor Joseph. <laughs> And, oh, not what you were expecting. And, and I went to him, oh, you're the pastor. And he said, oh, I don't like to use that word. There's no way that that word should be applied to me. And there was just such a great humility about this man. And he felt he couldn't use the word pastor because he hadn't been to Bible college. And yet he was preaching in the church. He was getting clean water to the community. He was seeing the church growing, people coming to faith. It was fantastic. So, so just the, the humility, actually, of a man of God who was serving the people of God uh, in a very remote location in Nepal um, who didn't want to be called pastor um, because he didn't felt that he feel that he was worthy of that, and yet everybody in the crowd was recognizing that that that's who he was, and that was who he was doing. So, great question, Bonnie. <laughs> I love that answer because what it brings to mind is that principle of yeah. leader is not a title. Leader yeah, is because absolutely. there are people who are following you. You know, and I think sometimes we can get those things confused. I have yeah. this title. I'm yeah. a leader. No, you're not. Yeah. No, 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 your title doesn't mean anything. It only means something if people are behind you and following you. So he was saying, oh, no, no, I'm not taking the title. It didn't matter whatsoever. He had the whole group behind him following. That made him an amazing leader. What a, I love that story, Simon. Thank you. That was, that was the best bit of knowledge of this whole conversation was that story. Brilliant. <laughs> now, looking back as we finish, uh, Bonnie, what, what do you wish someone had told you as a 20-year-old embarking out on a, a leadership journey that you know now? Great question. Reliance. That everything around leadership, um, I think my natural inclination is to rely on myself. That, you know, that self-starter, self-motivator. Everything about my leadership now that is well is because it's a complete reliance on God and the Holy Spirit's leading. Everything that doesn't go well, it's because I forgot that I'm relying on me again. And that, that I, I had not had an accurate perception of how much excellent leaders rely on God and that it is what God is doing in their own lives that allow them to lead well. That would be the biggest nugget of wisdom that I really wish someone had said to me in my, when I was 20. This is what you need to learn to be an excellent leader. What God does in your life allows you to lead. So what you need to be focusing on is what is God uniquely doing with me? And that allows me to uniquely lead in the way he specifically called me to do so. I'm not so-and-so amazing leader or other so-and-so amazing leader, but me. 
and God is doing this here. Brilliant. That was wonderful, and I love that. <laughs> but, but, but Bonnie, if people want to find out about um, Alpha and how they can run it in their local uh, community, wherever they are in the world, and we have people listening right around the world to the podcast, uh, where, where do they go? Alpha.org. You can get into your local um, national website from there as well. But if you want to start at Alpha.org or Alpha and your country, on Google, you should be able to get that as well. And we'd love to help. We'd love to serve you around the world. So thank you, Simon. You've been so kind. What a treat to have this time with you. Bonnie, thanks so much for joining us on the uh, podcast today. Bonnie Yulkiani is the Chief Operating Officer of uh, Alpha Globally. Bonnie, thanks so much. Bless you, Simon. Hope to speak soon. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed listening, then do join us every week by making sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from or find us at forge-leadership-podcast.com. Have a great week.